I'm your podcast host, Hassan Ahmad, and I do hope that you've enjoyed all the previous podcasts today or been intrigued and benefited from Mr. David Boyle's podcast. However, now moving forward, as promised, Law Simplified have promised to bring you more guests, more information, and now this we're going into the second month of this venture. We've been receiving some fabulous feedback from legal professionals at all levels, and on that note, that brings me to a very special guest today. Um, our guest on this episode is called Neelam Afsal. Now, Neelam's a employment law specialist. Neelam, um, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you, Hassan. Thank you for the invitation onto Law Simplified. No, that's the pleasure is all ours, Neelam. Now, just before we get into anything too nitty gritty, Neelam, it was actually your birthday recently, wasn't it? Yes, on Friday. Well, we'd like to wish you a very happy belated birthday on behalf of Law Simplified. And I'm sure a lot of the podcast listeners, uh, whenever they do listen to this, they'll be um, uh, sharing the well wishes as well. But before we get into any further topics of discussions, um, should we just break this down for the listeners, uh, Neelam, and go over some of the things that you've done, a little bit of intro or a background into you and how you went around the um training contract situation and um, I'm sure that many people are familiar with yourself from LinkedIn or um, some of the member boards that you sit on as well so why don't you go ahead and give a little intro as to um, what you do and uh, where you're based really. Okay so um, I started off um, I was a paralegal back in 2006 to 2008 um, for a London uh, firm called Legal Solutions Partnership I then uh, went on to complete uh, my training contract in 2008. Um, I was specialising at the time in litigation and personal injury, um, dealing with multi-track cases, fast-track cases. Um, So um, some really interesting uh, work. Mm -hmm. Um, And from there, we had um, the personal injury markets. um, There was a change uh, because of the MOJ rules, the Jackson reforms. And uh, so early 2010, 11, I decided I really wanted to do employment law. Um, I'd covered it in my legal practice course uh, yeah. which I completed um, at Nottingham Trent okay so it was uh, it was always an interesting area each case being different mm-hmm. fact sensitive um, yeah and um, so I completed um, an under uh, a master's in um, Guildford in Surrey uh, at the university we set up a department uh, with another partner both of us specializing in employment law and we built it from there so it then brought me back eventually to Birmingham, my hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I came to work for Wilding Solicitors. Um, they had an employment department, um, but it was fairly new. And over the last five years, um, a lot of dedication and time. But we have um, we've got a very exciting department in terms of we act for employers and employees. Yeah, um, we have employers on retainers, which range from a variety of um, industries and yeah. sectors. Um, we act for employees as well. So we've got a good mix of um, employment law work. Yeah. Um, and outside of that, I do a lot of business networking, um, yeah. working within the community. So I, um, I'm i a committee member um, at the Asian Business Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. Uh, it is my second year currently in that. Okay. And I also, um, I'm a member 
um, and I sit past uh, with a group on the Birmingham Law Society Employment Committee. Okay, so I bet your your time is um, very precious, you know. So I do want to thank you in advance <laughs> for giving us um, a moment of your time today. Um, but in regards to some of the extra work you do, we'll come that, come to that later sure. on in the in the podcast. Um, we'll jump in the gun a little bit there. We might as well end the podcast. We're done for now, aren't we? <laughs> that's all that's left. But um, no, no. Now just moving on. You said that you're part of Wilding Slippers and. Um, you're in the employment department um, and a little bit of research has told me that you're actually the head of department there is that correct I am yes okay, I, head I, I guess that comes with its challenges as well I believe it does uh, in terms of managing the work the, the staff um, the you know making sure that we're adhering to dates and times and just compliance yeah, um, but it compliance and also you know the other part, the other aspect, and uh, a large aspect of it, of this is securing future work and a following. Yeah, uh, of course, of course, and I suppose that, a lot of that comes from some of the work and your networking on LinkedIn, and as you mentioned, yeah. you're a part of the um, Asian Commerce as well. So I think you've got your um, you've got your uh, intentions in the right place, and it seems like the um, the work's following you wherever you go. Yes, absolutely, um, so, and hopefully it continues. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. So. Um, Neil, the current practice is something that we want to have a quick chat about before we get into the the big topic of today, which is um, this furlough scheme, uh, all the effects of COVID and everything that comes under the umbrella of employment law with this forever changing one that we've got ourselves in, into right now with COVID. Um, so what, is, what sort of work are you doing at the moment whilst you know, you're probably working from home and impacts of COVID has probably been quite great on your practice, hasn't it? Well, um, funny enough, we've actually returned to the office. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so um, all the social distancing measures in place, of course, um, but we are back in the office um, from the uh, from where well, we were from the first of uh, July. Um, we, I mean, when we started off, as we know, beginning of uh, March, April, May, a lot of stuff around furlough, yeah. a lot of questions around furlough. There was a lot of government guidance being issued um, and the government did a brilliant job in issuing. I mean, they had to do it piecemeal. You've got to bear in mind that this was something that they never anticipated or legislated on before. Yeah. So uh, it was forever changing uh, and being updated. Um, more uh, recently, the lo- a lot of the inquiries are around redundancy, yeah. planning for what happens after the furlough scheme ends yeah, um, and where employers will go after this. So there's a variety of work, still furlough, but also a lot of redundancies. Yeah. And the other thing that we found is businesses are now also looking at their contracts and you know policies and, and making sure because they've actually found that they're you know in a lot of circumstances they they weren't fit for purpose. Yeah, of course, yeah. So that that means that um, I guess your work has been cut out and you're probably working night and day, really. But um, I know what furlough is, Neil. I mean, you know what furlough is. But for some people that may not know what furlough is, I mean, it's probably unlikely there's um, people that come across our website and our LinkedIn profile now that uh, don't actually know. But for them, it's spare few people that don't know what furlough is. Could you possibly simplify the term so we can get it out there and break it down really in a nutshell? Sure. So the word furlough generally means a temporary leave of absence from work. Um, And this is due to the economic conditions affecting one company, but in this case, affecting the country, the whole country. Um, 
It's a temp. It's temporarily been introduced by the government mm-hmm. to provide employers with an option to keep employees on the payroll without them having to work. Yeah. And whilst there's a reduced hours uh, in place uh, under the, because obviously we've had this flexible extension to the f- yeah. uh, furlough scheme started in July. Yeah. The idea of the scheme was to keep the staff on, um, which is different to being laid off or being made redundant. Um, and furlough was put in place for, for this very reason. Okay, so. Um... As I'm sure you're aware as well, that the furlough scheme has now been extended. So that means that the government were initially paying the 80% of um, the employee's salary. And if the company wanted to, it was at their discretion, they could add an extra 20% and make the employee whole for the month. Is that correct? Yeah, so so the original um, scheme um, set out, um, obviously, with the agreement of the employee. So I a furlough agreement, which was always recommended. Yeah. Um, is that uh, the government was paying, as you said, 80% um, and the employee contribution, uh, so the, sorry, the employer contribution yeah. to the national insurance um, and the employer um, could top it up um, if they if they wish to. Okay, right, okay. So I think that clarifies the furlough point of it. But leading on from the furlough situation now, there's been a lot of talk about redundancies which have been taking place. And um, I think I saw a statistic on online um, a few days ago that said that there's already been 36,000 redundancies in July this month. Now, that's a shocking figure. Now, is that a result of the furlough and people being impacted so much by their business needs and the business has to cut costs that they can't keep employees on because um, the government has been backing them and helping them stand up. But now that scheme's getting weaned down um you see in a, a rise of redundancy don't you yeah i mean we've had uh, a significant even certainly in the work that i'm receiving um lots of settlement agreements yeah. um a lot of employees being made redundant i mean what we do know was that there were four million employees reported as furloughed in the first week on hmrc's online portal being opened yeah now um i read a figure that there are uh, apparently one tenth of those are being made redundant when the scheme ends. That's that's out of that. That's four hundred thousand employees yeah, on furlough. You know, receiving notice payments, yeah. and then you've got. I mean, you've we've heard it in the media. You know, we've got lots of large companies, British Airways. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Birmingham, we've had the John Lewis uh, department store. Yeah. Um, the Tamworth department store has closed down. There's um, hospitality industry that's all been affected um, because of, and it's also about the supply chain as well in in, in businesses because they they're not getting uh, if they're getting the orders they're not getting the equipment or whatever they need to produce a, a particular item that's delaying. Then they're having there's a delay there's a knock on effect yeah. whole supply chain, yeah. um, and then you've got the issues with you know um, cash flow and flu- you know and fluid cash flow to pay pay for bills and invoices. Yeah. So it seems like there's a bit of a domino effect going on. So if a company isn't able to get their subscriptions off another company, which is their client, because um, they're not open, then eventually that will, at the top, lead to redundancies, right? Absolutely. Um, So we are seeing this ripple effect. Yeah. So one of the questions that I actually had um, coming to my private messages in Neelam, once we put out advertisement of this podcast, was um, can employees remain on furlough leave even when the government scheme has ended now that's a question which i've never been asked before um but i was hoping that you would possibly be able to shed some light onto that 
Um, well, it's, a, it's a, a unusual question. Um, I think the point has to go back on on this one. So extend furlough, in other words. Yeah. Um, but the pro- the difficulty with that is it will be without the benefit of the government grant. Mm-hmm. Um, because if what we do know is that the government is intending to end the grant at the end of October. Yes. Um, so this is where I would say where the employer has a contractual so it, it, in other words, that it's written into the con- contract yeah. to lay off uh, employees without pay. Um, mm-hmm. And it could potentially be used. Oh, well, the first point is seeking the agreement of the employee, yeah. because if they're going to continue uh, on the furlough terms, but without the government grant, mm-hmm. uh, then they would need to obtain, you know, express permission, yeah. i.e. so the employee agrees. Yeah to the, the those terms continuing i.e 80 percent yeah okay um so so you would need to have the agreement and then you might want to think about layoff provisions mm-hmm. in the contract, but you obviously if they are not there then you could as an employer be exposed to a breach of contract yeah. um so you've got to be another co- kind of yeah. worms isn't it that um not many people exactly. want to go down and that um touches something on the tribunal uh, topic that we'll be discussing shortly as well. But um, before that, um, Neelam, um, some of the connections on LinkedIn also asked whether um, employee employers keep employees on furlough with reduced terms and bring them back in a sort of a phase return where they're doing possibly different tasks, even if the main role that they were initially employed for um, becomes redundant. So are there avenues to explore before employers say okay there's a redundancy situation here and we're going to need to execute it so should that be something that the employees think about before making people redundant absolutely look um i think that certainly employers need to have a look at various and and some obvious steps you know for example reducing operating costs Mm -hmm. recruitment freezes you know, if they've got discretionary benefits and bonuses in place, looking at cutting those back. Yeah. Uh, if they've got con- contingent staff to let them go, not potentially look to renew fixed-term contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what you know, see, if possible, seeking consent in relation to you know people going on part-time or uh, different hours. And again, um, you've got to be very careful when you do certain things in terms of as a business that. Um, you've got your consent otherwise you could unilaterally be changing terms and conditions and you would need to go through a consultation process and have a genuine good business reason to do that there are a number of things to think about before a business goes down to uh goes down the redundancy route Mm -hmm. um so that's what i would recommend that businesses do so if you've got time to have a think about other options and other possibilities before you make somebody uh, redundant yeah because i seem it seems that it's making um life hell for a lot of people this covid situation and it has dismantled um as i was saying in the podcast with david boyle as well it's dismantled a lot of people's lives and uh, it's difficult not only for employees but for employers as well because 
um, employers have to fork out a whole lot of money once this um, uh, furlough situation ends. And I suppose the notice pay part of that as well. What happens with that, uh, Neilan? Because that's another question that I had um, put to me on LinkedIn. Um, the question was from, it's, it's another bar student as well. And I'm not sure if he's going through the same situation, but I'm going to leave his name um, anonymous. He asked, um, can my employer reclaim the notice pay if redundancies take place? Uh, from the government because he doesn't feel like he's been given uh, enough notice pay. Right, so the notice pay, um, I will say, is is quite a technical um, issue as well. Um, So what I will do with notice pay is I will set out some information and then give you some examples, I think, because there are are different uh, views on uh, notice and different opinions. Um, And then I will, will say... The approach that um, we are taking, um, as in I, Wildings, the, the, what we, what advice we're giving to our clients. Yeah. Um, so there is nothing in the scheme that prevents. So this is the the, the furlough scheme mm-hmm. that prevents uh, an employer um, putting somebody on notice um, during the, the period of the scheme. So the employee guidance states that your employer can still make you redundant whilst you're on furlough or afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. So as to whether the employer can use the, the scheme grant to pay the employee's notice yeah. whilst they're on furlough, the employer guidance states that the grants cannot be used to substitute redundancy payments. Mm-hmm. But the employer guidance is silent on what the grants, whether the grants mm-hmm. can be used to pay notice. Right. Um, and they would indicate, but it would indicate, though, that it can be used for this purpose. Mm-hmm. Some may regard this as not being within the spirit of the agreement. Mm-hmm. Turning on to the notice itself, um, if the employee is entitled to no more than one week's greater notice yeah. under their contract of employment, so more than the statutory yeah. minimum period, which is one week for every year worked, yeah. then this then gives them the right to to look at claiming the minimum no guaranteed notice pay but anything between 80 and 100 of their normal pay so let me just explain i think it's better i put this in the examples yeah um so for example karen has worked for an employer for two and a half years yeah. okay her contract says she's entitled but this is what the con so you have to look at a what's in the contract of course, yeah. and what's in the furlough agreement agreement as well so her contract says she's entitled to one month's notice mm-hmm. She's agreed to accept 80% of her normal pay whilst on furlough. Mm-hmm. Because she's worked for two and a half years, mm-hmm. her statutory minimum notice period is two weeks. Yeah. So I every one week for every year yeah, worked. Yeah. However, her contractual notice is one month. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it is at least one week more than her statutory minimum. Right. So according to sections, and I'll, I'll quote the section, but if you want it, it's section 87.4. Yeah. This results in her not being entitled to statutory minimum notice rights because her contract is one week more. Right, okay, okay. Okay, and then her notice entitlement under furlough is one month at her current contractual rate, i.e. the 80% because of the furlough agreement of her normal salary. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll give you another example, which is the which is different to this, where the figure is between 80 and 100 so David has worked for his employer for 15 years. His contract says he gets three months notice. Okay. His statutory minimum notice is 12 weeks. Okay. He's has to give, he has to give 
three months notice on the 27th of February 2020, which expires on the 26th of May. Mm -hmm. So in other words, his contractual notice period of 12 is 12 weeks and six days. So the 12 weeks and six days yeah. is not more than one week. It's less. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. Yep. Yeah, you with yep. and so then therefore he's entitled to his so he now is statutory minimum notice pay, yeah. whereas the where the previous example was uh, a hundred uh, the previous example was one week more. So in other words, he's then entitled to a figure between eighty and a hundred. I see. Um, okay. Okay. I feel okay. I feel like that's a, a, a it's a little bit complex. I mean for me and you it's it, it, it is it's, it's a very intricate part of um employment law getting into the notice pay and so on and so forth. I'll let you continue, crack on. Yeah, so I think, look, I think we've got to be really careful and I'm going to say a reason why. At the moment, we haven't had, you know, we look at what what is the approach that the tribunals are going to follow? Mm. Um, because you know, at the moment, you know, there there's, there's different schools of thought on this as well. Um, so, what, you've got to be careful because one of the things that you've got to think about is garden leave. Mm -hmm. Now, garden leave is what's in your contract mm -hmm. uh, if it's written into your contract. So, for example, if you're in, you're using your contract, the contractual term, an employee could argue, well, actually, I'm entitled to 100%. Yeah. Um, because after all, they are on notice. They're told not to work for their employer, which is what garden leave is. Mm -hmm. So there's quite a compelling argument that the garden leave clause exists um, and, and therefore they should be paid their 100%. Yeah. Um, there's another point to consider as well is that, and this is what we do as a practice, mm -hmm. so this is what my advice or my opinion is, that the employee would be entitled to pay protection during this period, mm -hmm. a period of notice, so their notice period, because the argument is they are furloughed because their employer has no work for them to do. Mm -hmm. And wants to save wage costs yep. on the basis that they are ready and willing to work. The second thing you've got to consider is if they're off on sick leave um, and they are furloughed, yeah. then they are they they're obviously that's not through any choice of their own. Yeah. They are so therefore they're incapable. So you would be entitled to notice pay if you are ready and willing to work, yeah. or you are incapable of work because of sickness and injury. Okay. Okay. So yeah, so so that and then the other thing you've got to think about also is that if mm -hmm. let's say for a um, let's say this is tested in 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 the tribunal in the courts, mm -hmm. what you could what you don't want to end up here with is tribunals passing it, you know, making a, a decision on that basis, and then you you're going to have to reimburse your employees all the the twenty percent difference. Yeah, and then it just um, gets messy for both sides, doesn't it? Once the figures are involved and. Uh, tried yeah. to those claims lodged and all of that but um, yeah I'm with you on that uh, Neela but one thing I just wanted to touch on before you continue um, for the people that don't know what garden leave is um, could you possibly clarify and simplify that just before we get ahead of ourselves on the rest of the topic yeah so garden leave is where the um, employer uh, it would be you have to check your contract of employment so it, there will be a, a written term within your contract of employment um, which will set out garden leave. And garden leave is where the employer can tell, put you on notice yep. and you would be home, but you would be available. There'll be some terms within the contract about um, what you can and can't do. So you are available, but you're not working. Yeah. Um, but you are employed by the employer until your employment ends. Um, you have a duty of confidentiality um, during that period. 
um, the implied term. So obviously the, the relationship between the employer and the employee exists, mm-hmm. including the trust and confidence between them. Mm-hmm. So you're essentially at home. Yeah, and is that is that that's basically to protect the company, isn't it, for from from the employee as well as um, from the yeah. employee's own protection as well. When say if they go into somebody another company that's in the same industry or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's if they're going to go on to work for a competitor, yeah. it's so that they can't contact. I mean, usually we we you know say that you've got to write into the contract and ensure that you have that they can't contact your customer suppliers, mm-hmm. um, so that um, you know they can't take. Um, any information and, and pass it on to the new competitor. It's to protect your client from yeah. an employer's point of view to protect your clients or your current client base. Yeah, so um, it rules out anything to do with poaching of any clients and things like that, doesn't it? Absolutely. Okay, so one thing which um, I um, was dealing with when I was um, employed as a litigation executive was the fact that um, a lot of people touch on ACAS and there's a lot of uh, traffic towards ACAS and what they can do before a claim gets lodged. Now, would you say that's the best thing to do? I know it's advised and encouraged by the tribunals, but sometimes ACAS, they can't come to a resolution, can they? I mean, is it worth spending an extra month or two weeks, whatever that may be, in actually trying to go through um, alternate dispute resolution as opposed to just lodging a tribunal claim if somebody feels they've been possibly unfairly dismissed because of COVID and or they've been on furlough and they've not wanted to come back from furlough because they've got a family member who's been told to shield and they don't want to negatively affect their health. So what's the situation with that? And what is the, what is the tribunals trying to basically do to eradicate any um, false claims going forward? Okay. Um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on the question that if somebody's made redundant, what are the options yeah. available for them before they go to ACAS? Yeah. Uh, and then I'll talk about ACAS. So first of all, um, we have, uh, most employees will be aware that they will have a grievance process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm, this is before, so there's a couple of options before they, they are made redundant. Yeah. So you've also, one, one thing you've got is the right of appeal. So ensure that you, as an employee, you exercise that right of employee. But also the employer ensures that he follows a, you know, the fair process for an appeal hearing as well. Mm-hmm. If it means that the employee raises any issues, it's important that the employer goes and revisits any of those issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, be transparent in that process. The, okay. the second thing is grievances as well. Um before your employment ends or even at the appeal stage if there's any grievances to to raise mm-hmm. i have also seen workplace mediation work okay. uh, so um it could be during the course of their employment or mediation after mm-hmm. um, to see if the matter can be resolved without the need for litigation yeah um so there are those options available but has one thing we've got to remember is that mm-hmm. with ACAS. Um, yeah. you need the to, to lodge the claim in the employment tribunal you do need the ACAS certificate certificate number yeah. now the benefits I, I have seen the benefits of using ACAS um, because what ACAS will do is whilst they're not able to obviously give legal advice they will assist with conciliation mm-hmm. and um, it may be that number one they may resolve the dispute or the misunderstanding because sometimes there's a lot of misunderstanding yeah so they might assist with that misunderstanding and open some you know, communication and dialogue between the parties. Um, the, the second thing with ACAS as well is, it, is that it can give the employers a heads up as well that there is a claim on the way. 
Um, because obviously as, as an employer, we know that if it's, uh, you know, we've had a call from ACAS, that means there's a potential claim. And it does allow then the employer to think about their approach and how they want to resolve it or and the basis of any it also allows them to think about the basis of any claims as well and what those yeah. claims look like yeah. yeah so for anybody who's listening and they don't know uh what ACAS is it's an organization which basically facilitates negotiation before um a claim is lodged with the employment tribunal um, i'm not sure if you want to add anything to that neilam yeah, I mean, it is, uh, ACAS has worked. I think I think there's been some, uh, from an employer's perspective, it does, you know, take up some time. Um, well, you know, there's been mixed reviews around the ACAS's approach. It holds up the process in some views as well, because um, you can't go straight to a tribunal. Mm-hmm. Um some, it, some people think it slows down the process, doesn't it? As, yeah. But, um, I suppose that yeah, trying to figure out a settlement early on, uh, at early conciliation stage, it could be both uh, beneficial for employees and employers who possibly even want to settle something on a commercial basis, just to yeah. nip it in the bud and get it out of the way, really. Just something that's less to worry about, isn't it? Yeah, well, look, I mean, you know, with employment tribunals, we costs aren't recoverable. There's only very rare circumstances yeah. with the winning party. So whoever wins yeah. doesn't get the cost from the losing party. Um, yeah. There are very, very rare uh, circumstances, and that's a, a, a whole topic in itself. But so the cost element, the time element, the element, the, the preparation, you know, the anxiety, um, if, if ACAS can help resolve it, then, you know, it's, it should be welcomed. Yeah, of course. And I think that leads us nicely onto um, our last topic um, of this podcast, Neil. I mean, um, I think we've touched on redundancy and furlough, and they were the main topics that a lot of people wanted to have uh, discussed on this podcast. And a lot of the questions that were coming my way as well, um, they circulated around redundancy and furlough. But going on to now the next stage of that, say if somebody's not happy with the redundancy situation that, or even a... A, a dismissal because of COVID and they've not been able to keep up to their um, their duties as, as, as an employee. So the tribunals, um, I'm sure everybody is aware that they generally always have a back- backlog. Now, I suppose this COVID situation and the influx of claims which haven't been uh, processed through lockdown, it's going to lead to a surge in um, employment tribunal claims, isn't it now? Yeah, we're already seeing, I mean, I've in practice, I'm already seeing that cases which are listed, you know, for a final hearing, a substantive final hearing to make a decision, Mm -hmm. they're not being listed until summer, autumn of 2021. Wow. I had a hearing, case management hearing today, uh, Mm -hmm. listed for a five-day hearing, um, a discrimination uh, claim based on disability, and it's not going to be listed until uh, July of 2021. So, wow. so there's around yeah. a roughly a year's turnaround time isn't yes it? in the hearings wow, uh, okay. so this is what we, we were going to see um because courts are now spending a lot of time trying to trying to catch up with the backlog yeah i suppose and also obviously more issues yeah of course there's 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 a lot more to go into it as well but um just a quick question that i i brushed over um neilam was um one let me just find it it was the it was a redundancy situation um that got posted to me on linkedin um Mm -hmm. and it was a question about the fees of um claimants fees now 
Um, I did put that in uh, a topic for us to discuss today, but some of the claimants' fees which were around in employment tribunal claims beforehand, um, what's the situation with that? With that, Because this chap has asked, how much do I have to pay to go into an employment tribunal um, for a specific matter? But I'm not going to disclose that matter because yeah. it's quite personal. But what is the situation around um, claimants' fees and uh, going to a tribunal? Right. So to lodge your claim uh, with the employment tribunal, the cost to an employee, um, who i.e. the claimant, is nil because two years ago we did have tribunal fees and they were abolished. Now, I did read an article um, by The Times, um, so it's widely been reported. Um, There's been uh, there's some discussion or understanding that there'll be some review uh, in the future about uh, yeah. tribu- whether they reintroduce those tribunal fees. Yeah. Um, so from an employee, going back to the question, um, there's no fee that you have to lodge with the employment tribunal. Um, obviously, if you are bringing a claim that has um, little or no prospects, you know, you could have a tribunal order, um, depending on those facts, uh, make a deposit order. So i.e. you would have to pay a deposit into court. Mm-hmm. So um, to bring the claim to court? Well, no, it, it's you've already lodged the claim. So, for example, let's say, for example, you for an employee, you can lodge the yeah. claim yeah. and you've got no fee. To, you don't pay any fee whatsoever. Okay. Okay, but so there so could be deposit orders. There could be cost orders, okay. uh, depending on the, the, the merits um, and the prospects of your claim or if the claim's bought vexatiously or maliciously. So you've got to be, as an, you know, I always say as a claimant, um, or any parties be aware of you, you're going through a process mm-hmm. so you've got to comply with the orders yeah. you've got to ensure that your claim has prospects yeah. um, uh, and it's not bought you know vexatiously or maliciously um, or defend in that way um, it, so the last thing you want to do is come out with um, cost orders or deposit yeah. order yeah so I suppose that the tribunals have put in place um, some measures to prevent that going forward and people bringing claims just willy-nilly out of... Um, yeah, absolutely. Just to, be, just to be annoying and things like that. So there are things in place for um, uh, the tribunals to stop that. So uh, you mentioned that the uh, some of the cases that you had previously were getting lodged for, uh, I think the claims were getting um, hearing dates of 2021. Now, mm-hmm. does that mean that nothing can happen or during that time or can employees, no. employers still facilitate agreements during that well, time? Uh, one of the things that I've noticed, again, from practice, my approach is that the, whilst we're getting, um, you know, hearing dates in a year's time, mm-hmm. um, the tribunals have been very keen and, and very good in, in the sense that they are setting uh, quick timetables. So what yeah. I mean by that is the case management of the the matter. Um, for example, when to exchange disc- witness statements, disclosure of, of evidence, yeah. schedule of losses. Those dates are quite tight still. Um, yeah. And I guess what the tribunals are doing is let's prepare uh, the approach you know get the case prepared mm-hmm. uh, let's um, so the parties can see all the evidence that they have it you know against each other yeah. it will allow you know i think personally um, early certain discussions whether they are settlement discussions yeah. or that case is going to be defended or applications for deposit you know orders to, mm-hmm. or strikeouts okay because the parties know that very early on the case that's before them yeah. or the case that's presented in the case and how it's going to be defended. Whereas the last thing you want to do is get to summer and you know spring of next year and there's been no preparation whatsoever. Yeah, of course. 
of course. Oh, and it does facilitate, um, quite rightly, when the evidence is all out, it does facilitate the settlement discussions if the, those discussions are on the basis of genuine, um, reasonable claims. Okay, so I think that basically covers um, the tribunal situation there. Um, for anybody who's listened to this podcast and still wants some more information um, on ACAS, on the tribunal guides and so on, we will leave a link to uh, the ACAS code of conduct and the procedures which you need to follow once this podcast is posted. But um, something that I did notice about what you said earlier, um, Milam, is there seems to be somewhat of, you said this, the government guidance is silent on some issues in regards to um, the furlough situation and um, if they can still continue to get paid. So do you think that the guidance has done that on purpose or is that something which it allows the employees to have some discretion over which way they want to follow through with it? Um, look, I think the, the guidance um, has it's been updated um, so many times and I think a lot of some of the, a lot of the things are clearer when we first started off. Yeah. Um, so we're clear on a lot of uh, questions now. Um, some of where there is uncertainty or it's open to interpretation some parts. Mm. What I would always recommend is that you take advice yeah. um, because there's a lot of information online. Um, so take advice. Um, and um, I would say if you are concerned as an employer and employee, so more so as an employer, error on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for example, where we talked about notice pay, yeah. um, you know, take advice in those circumstances. Ensure that you know, look at your contract and what's been agreed, and and um, and take a view on on that going forward. Yeah, fabulous. And I think um, for anybody who is concerned, Neilam, do you want to put out your um, open invitation for people to connect with you on LinkedIn, um, connect with yourself, and you know, follow yourself on LinkedIn and any of the social media platforms which concern any um, employment-related issues. I don't know if Wildings are on LinkedIn. Are they on LinkedIn? Yes, they are. So so Wildings are on LinkedIn. Um, so Wildings Solicitors, I'm on LinkedIn. If you search my name, Mila Mafsal, uh, I'm available on LinkedIn. I'm on uh, all, all social media forums, um, including Facebook. Um, and um, you can contact me directly as well on um, 0121-786-255 as well. There you go. There you, You've heard it from the horse's mouth, guys. So if you are listening, you do need some expert legal advice in terms of your employment situation. There's Neelam Afsal's number. Um, I'll be sure to leave that in the comment section or in the um, caption of the post. But from us, guys, that's all we've got. So um, again, Neelam, a very happy belated birthday. I hope it Thank went you. well for you. Um, and um, a few questions before we go, if you don't mind, Neelam. And these have been put forward you put your post out on Instagram. Now, some people want to know, um, if Neelam wasn't a lawyer, what would she be? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I bet you weren't expecting that one, were you? No, actually, I wasn't. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't. Do you know what? I'd love to be a dentist. Really? Is, yeah. is that is that which way you go? You go towards the, No, do you know what? Back? Most of my family are in the medical profession. Right, okay. Um, okay. So it's quite funny. So when we sit um, um, socially, um, there are a lot of conversations, medical terms being thrown around, um, which kind of go over me. Um, so yeah, you, uh, you should just get out, just get your uh, medical dictionary. Books. Yeah, just get out your legal <laughs> jargon and throw them in. Be a competition. But that's fine. <laughs> Milan would be a dentist. Then uh, number two is what is your 
most embarrassing moment in practice? Have you got one, Dima? Have I got an Im- Oh, when you think you've put the phone down, but you haven't, and it's gone to their voicemail, and you've said something that you... Oh, oh no. <laughs> yes. A very, very, very long time ago. Okay, well, fingers crossed it doesn't happen to you again. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. Do you know, that was... Uh, I've, uh, I've checked the phone now, put it down, and make sure it's down before you, you say anything else. Yeah, that's it, that's it. That's that's where the complacency comes in after you've had a heavy lunch, isn't it? And you're falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, final question, Neil um, what is your biggest achievement today? My biggest achievement, um, oh, there's, there's a few, but I will say... Was it the awards? Uh, was it the awards? I, but you know what? I was about to say the awards. Um, yeah. That one, and 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 actually securing my masters is one. So actually, because when I did my masters, I was actually um, work heading up a London firm. Um, I was a partner, and mm-hmm. um, I was doing my masters part time. Okay. Uh, so so that and it, that was a lot of hard work, but um, also my um, being recognised, highly commended at the British Muslim Awards, mm-hmm. twenty twenty in Manchester. Okay. Uh, my achievements in law. So um, that yeah, was fabulous. That's fabulous. Bravo. Hats off to you, Neil. I'm in, Thank uh, you. Getting that commendation, I'm sure it was well deserved. Um, just one final thing before we do go, Neil. Is I'm going to give. Uh, well, I'm going to request um, and give you the honour of closing the show, Neil. So will you be so kind to do that? Brilliant. I want to say a big thank you to um, Hassan. Uh, I'm Neil Mafsal. Here's your podcast host, Hassan Ahmed. And thank you for the invitation. Enjoy. Thank you very much, much Neelam. So quickly, guys, keep an eye on, on our upcoming podcast. We've got more guests coming up to, in the next few weeks. Keep an eye on our website, www.law-simplified.co.uk. As always, guys, it's been a pleasure. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this podcast. And if you don't, please don't leave any hate comments in the comment section. It's been fabulous to speak to you again. Neelam, again, thank you very much. And thank you. I'll bump into you somewhere down the line. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.